Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cast now against the pointed light, the lilac clouds in the foredusk, irregular triangled roofs, pure black silhouettes against the sky, all gazed through glass in the moon underwater. Welcome everyone, welcome to the moon underwater. I, John Robbins, am your landlord and with me, and he's got such a grin on his face, is the lovely Robin Allender. And Robin, I'm guessing you're grinning at the sight of the fleet outside. I love having a good grin anyway, but it is a particularly mighty fleet. Yeah, if you can imagine, well, you know, a Spanish galleon or the English equivalent, the name of which I've, you know, no idea what it would be. Boat? Yes, an English boat. And they're all coming up the high street here, uh, sort of hovering over the cobbles. And it's always a treat for the uh, townsfolk to welcome in the fleet. But I, I tell you what, the fleet don't arrive for everyone. It's an awful lot of logistical um, bother to sort of get the fleet avast and, and you know, everything pointing to the four swain, getting all of the bowsmen aboard and abound. So I can only guess that it's in honour of this week's uh, guest of the Moon Underwater who we're going to help create their dream pub. And it's a bit like, you know, those sort of um, float parades in New York or in America that they have with lots of different floats. It's a bit like that. A floating fleet. A floating fleet. But if it is our guest, then we should be expecting, I believe it's a schooner any time soon or some sort of clipper ship to come on the the flow. Oh, they're cheering now, Robin. They're cheering. The flags are going bananas. And here it is. It's full fathom five and 20 knots abound the um, Hearthman's knot for this week's guest who jumps off with a lovely spring in his step and uh, comes through the huddled masses uh, to enter the moon underwater. It's Henry Jeffries. Hello, Henry. That was a wonderful introduction. Well, like I say, they don't pull out all the stops for everyone. And I think what they wanted to do 
was to sort of pay tribute to your vast historical knowledge of the world of all things alcoholic. And the sort of I, I sensed the tide of time with you on board those vessels that uh, that brought you here into the correct realm. Is that your title? Would you say you're a booze historian? What is your job, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think booze historian might be a bit grand. Um, I think booze enthusiast would probably be a better term. But I'm interested in history. I'm interested in the historical side of things. You also work for a website, well, a company that has a website. So good. You're all on board with the uh, great tech revolution. Master of Malt, what do you do for them? I edit their blog, which means writing about whiskey, mainly about whiskey, but other spirits, being a sort of wordsmith for hire for them. I have to say that Master of Malt is a fantastic resource if you're trying to sort of look beyond what you might get in your average sort of supermarket off-licence. Even a sort of semi-specialist shop would sort of, would cower at the choice of spirits and whiskies, especially that you have for sale there. It'd be great if we could quote you on the site. We could have cower at our (laughs) mighty range. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But also I've ordered beer from master of malt before that i couldn't find in other places yeah yeah we do if we even do wine in fact i'm drinking a very nice new zealand pinot noir master of malt oh i'm drinking a new zealand pinot noir i don't think this is classy though should we compare bottles (laughs) yeah (laughs) i've got cloudy bay which is kind of like one better i think oh cloudy bay is good yeah it's fancy proper fancy new zealand pinot noir clouds are better than oysters is cloudy bay one shelf up in Tesco from Oyster Bay. Yeah. I think it's about two shelves up, even if it's, you know, whether it's in Tesco or not. It might not even be in Tesco. It might only be available from Master of Malt. I love the um, the sort of supermarket shelf price continuum, you know, from your 4.49s all the way up to your max, sort of £22, but reduced to 20 well, sometimes uh, over Christmas, they'll get into very expensive stuff. You know, you'll see kind of top-end Bordeaux or something just sitting there looking a bit bemused in Tesco in Faversham. Well, I did once overhear someone in a Majestic Wine say to a customer who was on the lookout for some Chateau Neuf de Pape, they basically said, listen, mate, in a nice way. If you want Chateau Neuf de Pape and you want to buy it for 25 quid, don't buy Chateau Neuf de Pape. The quality of wine you would get for that money from something you perhaps didn't recognise is much better than getting sort of the cheapest CN de P. And I think of that whenever I see the Tesco Chateau Neuf de Pape shelf, where it's sort of 19 <laughs> to 24 pounds. Well, very wise. This majestic chap sounds like he or she knew what he or she was talking about. Do you know what the most expensive thing on the Master of Malt website is currently? Oh, God, it'll be something ridiculously expensive. It'll be some sort of 50-year-old Japanese whiskey or something for £20,000 or something crazy like that. You know, there's, there's, we do a lot of collector's stuff, which is just bananas money. Well, currently there is a Middleton 47-year-old very rare silent distillery collection, Chapter 3. Ooh, that's a good one. The Chapter 3 is the uh, is the one you want. But that's £42,500. Well, there you go. When your ship comes in... That is a hunk of cash. <laughs> 
Henry, uh, John and I really loved um, your, your, your book, Empire of Booze. And I was wondering when you said you're a booze enthusiast and fascinated with history, when did you kind of realise you could kind of tell the story of the British Empire kind of through alcohol or through the bottom of the glass, as your book is subtitled? It was when I was working in a wine merchant in Leeds. I used to work for Oddbins a long time ago, mainly because I graduated with, a, with an English degree and... You know, I mean, what do you do with a degree in English literature? I, you know, I hadn't got a clue. But I used to go to this wine shop and they all looked like they were having a lot of fun. So I thought, I'll get a job there. So I, I got a job in Oddbins in Headingley. And, you know, it, was, you know, it wasn't that much to do. So I'd look at the bottles and there'd be sort of Taylor's Port and Sanderman, Sanderman Port, Harvey's Bristol Cream. And I was thinking, you know, my mind working very slowly, like, you know, those are from Spain or Portugal, but the names are British, you know, and I was like, whoosh, my mind working very, very slowly. <laughs> and, you know, it was the same with Bordeaux. There's like Chateau Brown or, you know, Chateau Smith Oat. can't remember what it's called. But anyway, there's lots of sort of Anglo names. And I thought there's a story here and not just with, with wine, you know, with, um, obviously with rum, with whiskey. And I was just thinking, you know, we're a, a kind of booze superpower. Uh, but this was something that just sort of sat in the back of my mind for years. But gradually I thought, you know, there's a book here. And I used to work in publishing. So I was sort of, sort of you know, I, I kind of knew what books were were fashionable. And there was a, there was a craze for those big idea books, you know, um, cod you know how you explain the whole world history through cod or through lettuce or salt or you know, <laughs> dolphins or something and i thought i would do that i would tell the story of britain through alcohol i thought this was a, a really good idea but it just kind of got a bit out of control and i realized that i wasn't going to be able to turn it into a coherent narrative it was just too disparate so instead i just thought where are the main drinks Bordeaux, sherry, rum, beer, that kind of thing, IPA. Each one's going to be a chapter and each one's going to tell a story about Britain or the British Empire done. So it's not even going to claim to have any kind of narrative coherence. And that was it. I started research in about 2009. It took me a long time to get it published. It came out in 2016 and it's been a slow burner. You know, people are very interested. It just keeps sort of ticking over. It's great. I mean, I think what I like about it is you get quite close to sort of describing British quirks and the British character and the British tastes as well. And it's really a book about that as well. There's a great bit where you're saying, you're talking about this thing that Le Style Anglais, which is where a lot of kind of Italian or Spanish or Portuguese wine sellers tend to dress up in what they think of as a very kind of British aristocratic way. And you say um, that they don't quite get it right because there's not enough smell of a dog blanket in the boot of a Volvo 440 about them, <laughs> which is such a great phrase. I love that because it's a, it's, a, it's a book about that eccentricity as well. Yeah, it's a shame because the wine trade, like most businesses these days, is trying very, very hard to be modern and trying to kind of, you know, become a bit more relaxed and a bit groovier and stuff. And it's a shame because... It's just going to be like every other business soon, whereas it used to be very eccentric. You used to have a lot of tweed, a lot of, you know, a lot of old suits and a lot of eccentric people. 
as someone who is you know not really part of the wine trade just sort of semi-detached from it I used to love going to those tastings and there'd be these Spanish men in beautiful three-piece suits or these kind of Bordelais people dressed as if they were going hunting you know I think they, they when they arrive in London they go straight to Cordings on Piccadilly and just you know stock up on all their kind of English clothing it's wonderful it's it's no one dresses like that um so I think I think more tweed more corduroy it's what I'm calling for yeah it's also fascinating even if you didn't have an interest in booze per se it's a great way of telling the story of sort of Britain over the past 500 years because so alcohol has been a constant in Britain in a way that a lot of other items may have had their heyday so you know you couldn't tell the story of the last 500 years through cotton I mean you could but there there would certainly be a very big chapter on the industrial revolution and perhaps you know to the present day and before that wouldn't be quite as much but it speaks so much about industrialization gentrification wealth class the relationship between sort of royals and the people the relationship with politics with laws being passed science as well yeah, definitely science and innovation and the economy all of these elements touch on alcohol and you, the main thrust of the argument of the book is that even though britain wasn't creating a great deal of the sorts of alcohol you're talking about because of their position as an importer and an exporter and setting trends and they were essentially sculpting the, the palette of, of the world's booze, even though, you know, they weren't the, um, the growing the vines or making the vodka or necessarily even some of the, the IPAs and lagers of the world. What's so interesting, I think, is that you can recognise those archetypal drinks in what we drink today, even if they're in slightly mutated form. So, for example, something like Bordeaux, this archetypal red wine, which we think of as, you know, that's what red wine is. But that was actually invented. That was someone doing something and making wine in a different way. And that became the model for all red wines. So things like Chianti, Rioja, Californian Cabernet, Chilean Merlot, they were all made in the image of Bordeaux. So when you're, you know, you go to the supermarket and they've got all those bottles of red wine, Australian Shiraz, you owe that to French people who are making things for the London market or for the Edinburgh market or the Dublin market. Or the same thing with champagne. Dry champagne was made for the English market. So when you have a dry sparkling wine, it's a reference. All, everything has a connection. Almost everything we drink today has a connection to this amazingly fertile period from 17th 18th 19th early 20th century it's yeah and it's still it's still it's still all around us well you've got some superb facts in the book which we can dip into as we go through your choices creating your dream pub as someone who has sort of researched all the different ways and places in which people in britain have drunk over the past four or five hundred years what's your idea of a, a sort of a fantasy pub yeah, I mean, I'm quite old-fashioned. I think the drinks don't have to be that fancy. I don't, I don't want a wine list. It doesn't need to have thirty different types of gin. It doesn't need loads of different types of whiskey. What I'd like is uh, either a kind of old Victorian pub, you know, like an old gin palace, or like an old country pub, like 
you know, something like the King's Arms in Amersham before they ruined it would be my idea of a, <laughs> of a great pub. And I like, I like to drink bitter. You know, I like to have a nice pint of bitter. Not really interested in drinking very much else. It doesn't need to do cocktails. It doesn't really need to do food, though, you know, something to nibble on is quite nice. I like a fire, you know, some dogs. Really just kind of all the all the sort of cliches of an English pub. That's what I want. I'm not going to throw my hat into the ring, but just out of interest, what, what, what specifically did you think they ruined about the King's Arms in Amersham? The King's Arms used to be, for those who don't know, it's actually in Four Weddings and a Funeral. When he goes to oh, the Jolly yeah. Boatman, there's a sort of Tudor coaching house, which you see from the outside. That's the King's Arms in Amersham. And it used to have like a very uneven wooden floor. It had barrels of beer behind the bar with cooling jackets on. It was a proper kind of beer pub. And then it got taken over and they put in chintzy curtains and they polished the floor and they, they cleaned it up. And it looked like a it looked like a sort of hotel lounge rather than a pub. And they only did one kind of beer one kind of real ale so it was you just went in there one day and was like so someone who had no sympathy for what a Tudor pub should look like you know got let loose their interior decorators on it and ruined it well as I said I'm going to keep my cards close to my chest it wasn't you was it <laughs> no no, no it, wasn't, it wasn't me There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Let's start populating this pub of yours. So first off, we've got two draft options. Yes. Well, I think, I don't know where this pub would be, but I think my favourite draft beer is Timothy Taylor's Landlord, which is a Yorkshire bitter. And I used to live in Bethnal Green, and there was a pub called The Hare on Cambridge Heath Road. And it was run by this 
I think he was either an ex-army person or an ex-policeman called Julian. And he was kind of short. And he basically, he looked like the kind of landlord you just would not mess with. He just was, you know, he was really hard. And it was a proper old East End pub. The clientele were all kind of into Arsenal. So they'd all, you know, have their kind of Arsenal stuff. And it was big for the Arsenal games. But as well as being a kind of East End boozer, the landlord, Julia, was really into his real ale and used to keep it absolutely beautifully. And he always had landlord on draft. And I remember going there. I always had landlord. And I was quite friendly with this, the barmaid there. I went in there with my brother one day and my brother ordered some drinks. And the barmaid said, he doesn't drink that. He drinks landlord. And I just thought, you know, you've made it when the barmaid corrects your brother <laughs> and tells him you've ordered the wrong drink. <laughs> Never, ever felt more accepted in a pub because it was, you know, it was a proper kind of Cockney's pub. And me being this, you know, kind of home counties, bit of a toff. I always felt like I wasn't. But then at that moment, I thought, you know what? I'm one of the locals. And I, I haven't been for a long time, but I did go back a few years after I left the East End. And it was the same barmaid. And she, before, without me even saying anything, had to be a pint of Landlord. Oh, that's Even so if nice. Landlord wasn't, for me, probably the best English beer you could buy, I'd probably pick it because of that story. I've walked past the hair so many times and was always too scared to go in. It's one of those pubs that you can't see into. And I always got the feeling there's probably a reason for that. It's either got the blinds are always down or it's that half level frosting on the glass. And I just got a vibe. It was like, nah, they won't want you in there. But that's me being probably uh, shy or judgmental. I'm sure I could have eventually got to the dizzy heights of being handed my pint of landlord before i'd opened my mouth it was a long journey i must say but it was it was a great it was a great pub and julian was 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 very friendly and he ran a very tight ship he didn't take any shit so there was no you know people trying to sell dodgy things you know anyone who did anything remotely illegal they were out so it was no it basically was kind of how you want a city an east end city boozer to be a few people have chosen landlord at the moon underwater I think it's a great example of a beer that if someone came over to the UK and they were like, right, give me a pint of British bitter, British ale. I've never had it before. I want to taste a sort of archetypal pint of ale. I think that would be such a good choice to give someone because it's not sort of too out there. It's not too hoppy. It's not too malty. It just ticks every box, even if it was perhaps wouldn't be my first choice in a in a pub if they had it. Yes, but I did, I did think long and hard about this. So I was thinking about Harvey's Best or Adnams, you know, which are all kind of beers that I love. But I thought Landlord because of the uh, the emotional attachment. And what would be your second choice? Well, the second choice would be something for my wife. She's American. She is very abstemious in her drinking habits. And she really likes cider, but it has to be the right cider. So she doesn't want... Magnus, she doesn't want those kind of fruit ciders, doesn't want Strongbow, but at the same time, she doesn't want the kind of stuff that's made by old men called Jethro and smell like horse blankets and things like that. She wants kind of something in between. And so she used to like Aspels, but I think Aspels isn't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I don't think it's quite as good as it was. But we live in, in Kent at the moment, and there's a local cidery called Kentish Pip and which is quite widely available on draft. And it's a very clean 
fruity sort of one that just tastes like it's made from really nice apples they do they do one called high diver by kentish pip and whenever we see that on she always gets a half of that so it would have to would have to have a really good quality cider so that my wife could have a drink brilliant the chapter in your book about cider is fascinating the first thing that's really interesting is about the relationship between cider and champagne it's one of the most fascinating things in the book was there was this very fertile time in the 17th century where you had the restoration you had the early days of the royal society isaac newton christopher wren robert hook you know designing cathedral coming up with laws for gravity and things like that sort of melvin bragg's heroes Mel- yeah, melvin bragg's <laughs> heroes exactly but also a lot of them were experimenting with different types of cider so it was sort of i, I think i joke in the book it was as if nasa had a homebrew division so you had the greatest minds of the age experimenting with cider and there was one of them called uh sir Kenham digby who's this wonderful 17th century rogue in his portraits in, in the national portrait gallery and he probably invented the strong glass wine bottle before that glass was very very fragile and he realized that if you could control the fermentation which produces carbon dioxide you could get the drink to absorb that and then when you open the bottle you had sparkling cider and then there were other people like john beale and christopher merritt who were experimenting mainly with cider though some of them with wine to control this fermentation and make something deliberately sparkling and this is where the politics comes in because previously there'd been lots of cheap french wine available but because we were at war with france that became a lot more expensive so there was this idea that england rather than relying on the french would become self-sufficient by making cider that was as good as wine and obviously i've never tried them because they were made hundreds of years ago but there are lots of evidence that you know people were paying good money for them people were trying them next to a barrel of the best madeira and saying you know this cider is pretty good so there was this sort of lost golden age of high class ciders that you know ne- never really went anywhere because you know the wine came in from abroad but it was a sort of I don't know, like one of the great missed opportunities, I think, of booze history. The other great thing is that the importance of the spelling of cider, because spelt with a Y, is, isn't that used to refer to it when it's pure apples and it's not been diluted? Yeah, so yeah, cider was the high-class product with a Y. I don't know how you got that across when you were ordering it, though. Did you have to say, sort of, <laughs> I'll have some cider with a Y? And they go, ooh, <laughs> yeah. look at his nibs here. <laughs> well... Speaking of bottles, because the invention of that bottle had huge ramifications outside of just cider, didn't it? Enabled champagne to be sparkling and I guess beer. I mean, in a way, having sparkling lager in a bottle is possible because of that invention. Yes, and not just the sparkles, having lots of different bottles. Whereas previously, you'd have to have a barrel because the glass was too fragile. But being able to transport lots of different wines and store them in bottle meant that the ordinary person for the first time could have lots of different bottles rather than having to go to the pub and fill up a jug of whatever the landlord had. 
Hey man, band is so good, man. Yeah, they're they're all right. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're rocking it up. Yeah, man. Solo is like speaking to my soul, man. Yeah, I can sort of feel it. I can feel it speaking to me, my soul. It's quite. It's taking quite a long time to say whatever it's trying to say. Yeah, it's so sweet, man. I mean, it's it's. If anything, it's it might be too long. Yeah, man. Life's too long, man. The solo is like life. Yeah, I, I think it is too long now. I might, I might go to the pub actually. Don't go to the pub. You're gonna miss the end of the solo. Can you just tell me what happens at the end? I'm off to the moon underwater. Well, let's uh, find out what your bottles or cans. I guess the history of the can doesn't really stretch back into <laughs> antiquity quite as much. Um, but what are your two bottles or cans? Well, I'm going to go for Campari and Martini Rosso, just because even though my I'm pretty old school when it comes to pubs, I do really like a Negroni. So I assume that the bar will have gin. In fact, you know, I will make sure it has gin. But sometimes I really want, and, and a Negroni is so easy to make. You don't need, you don't need to shake. You don't need, you know, to do anything fancy with a piece of fruit. You just mix equal parts, Campari, Martini, Rosso and gin. Stir it with some ice, put, put a bit of orange in and you've got a Negroni. I believe this may be a moon underwater first, that mm. the bottles and cans have been used to sort of bulk out the aperitif sort of uh, the mixer spirit part of the bar and i'm taken aback oh god have i done something untoward no this is this is fantastic who knows what your wild card would be but I, i'm sensing there's not going to be a lot of wine knocking around in this pub yeah i don't drink wine in the pub to be honest and when people complain about the wine in a pub i just think you're in a pub don't drink wine that's why it's very important to have good cider i think for people who don't want beer or spirits you've got to have a choice of ciders i think yeah, I always like it when a pub has got more than one cider on draft, and by which I don't mean, you know, Strongbow and another similar Strongbow and then bottles of Old Moot, yeah. <laughs> which as far as I'm concerned, if I never see another bottle of Old Moot again, it will be too soon. The Negroni, though, I've never got on board with that very, very bitter taste. Do you like drinking a Negroni in a pub? No, I don't think I've ever ordered a Negroni in a pub. I don't know if I, I would dare. It seems a bit poncy, really, but I would like it there just in case I wanted one. But to, I had an uncle who, a late uncle, who introduced me to Negronis. He was, I'd never had one before. And he was a sort of old, a sort of raffish old gentleman. He claimed to have paid his way through law school, through gambling. And I didn't know him very well, but he was a, he, he ended up marrying my aunt and he invited me to his club for lunch. And I'd never been to a club before, but it was one of those St. James's clubs, you know, sort of, you know, the kind of ones, I think they were founded in the late 18th century. You know, it's where, it's where people used to gamble, basically. And he ordered a Negroni and I'd never had a Negroni before. This must have, I must have been about 25. So I thought I'd have one. And I was like, tried it. I was like, you know, kind of nearly took my head off, just bitterness, alcohol and stuff. But I thought, you know, this is good. And he had two of them before lunch. I think we had a bottle of white and then a bottle. Of, you know, it was one of those one of those lunches. 
So again, it's a drink that has very strong memories for me because it reminds me of, he's now dead, um, but it reminds me of my Uncle Peter, who I was very fond of. We always like it when there's nostalgic memories attached to the choices here in the Moon Underwater. But we're going to leave your dream pub now. Just before taking a break, there is but the small matter of the Moon Underwater pub quiz. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. Played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. Thanks, John. How do you feel about uh, pub quizzes, Henry? Oh, I love a pub quiz. Yeah, I get a bit over-competitive, though. You know, I get really into them. Yeah, as a historian, I guess, uh, as well, do you get that kind of... Are you expected to know things. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, but there's certain things I'm, yeah, certain things I'm pretty good on pop music as long as it's not after about 2002. So, you know, there's a, there's a sort of sweet spot. But when I was at my daughter's school, I remember we had a pub quiz evening and like parents who, you know, weren't particularly friendly to me were suddenly like, you know, so you know, there's a sort of, <laughs> there's this kind of mid, middle-aged dad knowledge I'm pretty good on. Yeah. Right, well, this week's pub quiz in the Moon Underwater, is a, is, it's a classic staple of pub quizzes, which is nicknames for English football teams. How do you think you, you both will fare with this? Oh, no, I can't do football, I'm afraid. Oh, really? <laughs> your hammers, your toffees, your gas. <laughs> I don't know anything about football. No, okay. <laughs> what about you, John? Well, I'm, I'm probably not very strong, apart from the three you've just mentioned there, which I'm guessing won't be in the quiz. So question one. Which team currently languishing in the National League North, formerly Conference North, are nicknamed the Quakers? So that's question one, the Quakers. Question two, which premiership team is nicknamed the Cherries? And question three, which London club was nicknamed the Pensioners and even had a pensioner on their badge until the 1950s? So those are your three questions. Quakers, Cherries, Pensioners... Interesting, interesting. Those nickname tenterhooks. I'm afraid I think this is going to be a very low-scoring quiz, but uh, it's it's all to play for. It really is. Folks, we're going to take a quick break and uh, return to Henry Jeffrey's Dream Pub in part two. Just a reminder that you can get access to our bonus podcast, Behind the Cellar Door, by heading to moonunderpod.com and clicking through to our Patreon link. Amongst other treats therein, uh, we'll see you very soon. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 